Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, I think we have a very interesting show again this week. Um, set up here for the day. We're going to start off talking about the five biggest budgeting mistakes you can make. And this is something we talk about from time to time. We talk a lot about budgeting here, but, you know, this is really, really important. I mean, if you don't have a budget in place, your retirement plan could be useless. You know, it's a building block of any good plan. So if you don't have a budget in place, you probably are not making the other four mistakes. That's true. That's true. You're not making four of the mistakes, but having a real budget is one of them. Thanks for giving me, you know, giving away part of it. But yeah, I mean... It's really, really important. That's why we, we talk about budgets a lot. So you want to stay tuned for this. There are five common budgeting mistakes. You want to make sure you're not making those. Yeah, and then we're going to follow that up with a an, uh, topic about talking to your kids or your loved ones, for that matter, about your wealth. And um, we have a really helpful uh, tool that we're going to put out on our web so folks can go out there and check it out. But just a way to have that conversation. It's interesting. Some some people do it. Some people don't. And um we like to, to err on the side of uh, over-communicating and making sure people understand where things are and why. So we'll go through some of the details on that. Yeah, another important topic that's controversial, so that's a good good thing to talk about. Um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro, have an MBA in finance, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we are excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon right off our website. Yeah, website is moneymd.net. We do have a link on the uh, the website that you can listen to the current week's show, but you can also go back and listen to prior podcasts, and we have them categorized, so you can check out what the Money Doctors are talking about. A lot of great educational materials out there. We also have a Facebook page and a Twitter so if you're not following us on Twitter, go check it out, MoneyMD. Um, and on Facebook, we have those funny videos. The one last week that Sarah Jane and, and Kathy did was outstanding right. on uh, reminders of paying off debt. So if you haven't seen that, go check out Facebook. Yeah, exactly. It's a great way to check us out. Also, check us on our website, MoneyMD.net, where you can link to us there. You can ask us your questions. We'll answer those right here on the show. You can link to all our previous shows. You can also reach us by email from the website or directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. And that is the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed above 22,000 for the first time ever in its 121-year history Mm. on the 1st of August this year. You know, I saw an interesting stat that said every new high, the percentage is a smaller gain. So going from... You know, 20, 21,000 to 22,000 is 1,000 points, but that's a much smaller percentage than when it went from 9,000 to 10,000. That's true. So we're going to have new highs here. I mean, that's, uh, you know. In, not, fa- in fact, I looked it up. We've had 50 new highs since the election. Wow, 50. So we've had a lot of new highs, and that's common. I mean, if you look at the 121 history of the Dow, um, you know, it hits new highs almost every year. And when it starts hitting new highs, when you're in a good market, it hits, it hits new highs almost every week. Mm-hmm. I mean, it hits new highs. That's what markets do. So 22,000 is an impressive number, but it's not, you know, incredibly unusual that it's hitting a new high. Yeah, that's right. It's but fun to celebrate. It is. But, you know, there are some good reasons the market is up. Earnings have been stellar. Mm-hmm. 
There have been some really good earnings this year for corporate America. In fact, we're on track to, to, to have 20, um, 10% earnings growth in the second quarter of this year as the reports are finally all coming in. I think about 85% of the companies have reported as of today. And um, so, you know, that's really, really good. Two months ago, they were only predicting like 6% earnings growth for the second quarter, and it's coming in at 10. You know, that's a big surprise on the upside, and that's what's driving the market. There are good earnings out there for companies. So despite all the dysfunction in Washington, right, you watch the news media and it's chaos. Exactly. Companies are earning money, which is fundamentally what drives the stock market. That is. And earnings growth, it really is what drives the stock market. So despite what you hear out there in the media about you know, what's, what is or isn't happening in Washington, it's earnings and, you know, the, the economy's good. Mm-hmm. The economy's strong. Housing's very strong. So there's some bright spots in the economy. Jobs have, have come in really strong. Over 200,000 jobs created last month, um, which was which was really, really good. We're at the lowest uh, unemployment rate that we've had in 16 years, or wow. one of the lowest. We're tied for the lowest in 16 years. Um so we're, we have some really good stats out there, and that's driving the market. Thanks for the good news. There you go. I still want to start off on a good note, John. Now, it won't last forever for the bad news, of course. That's There's right. going to be corrections. We, we go markets, through markets like that. That's right. And markets go up and down. But let's enjoy the good ones while we're here. All right. That leads up to our first topic here, and that is the five biggest budgeting mistakes. So, so much for the good news here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it comes to budgeting, I know that's a painful word for a lot of people. You know, they think of... A process of constraints and hard decisions. And while some of that might be true, you know, it doesn't have to be a painful process. In fact, it shouldn't be. It really should be a relatively simple process and it should be very liberating. Um, you don't have to feel guilty, you know, going on vacation or playing golf or having a good time if it's in your budget, if it's budgeted. It's kind of like having a GPS on the road trip to retirement. You know, you don't have to follow it exactly, but it can be a guide that will lead to a stress-free journey to retirement and your other goals. So it really is a, a great thing that can be liberating and give you peace of mind heading toward retirement. It doesn't have to be complicated. It just has to be effective. You know, I've seen clients who were able to enjoy life more in retirement because they had a budget and it fit their goals and everything fit into their plan so they could do it without without guilt. So if you're 65, retiring or living well within your means, maybe you don't need a budget, but 95% of the people out there need a budget, if for nothing more, just to show them where the money's going so they'll know where to make cuts and to kind of give them that peace of mind that they're on track. Yeah, unfortunately, though, only only 35% roughly have a financial strategy and only 17% update it you know, uh, ongoing. And that means that over half of us have, have absolutely no strategy, no clue about retirement, and only a fraction keep it up to date, you know, on an annual basis. And, you know, if you're over 50, then, you know, you've got probably, you know, 10 to 15 years before retirement. So you really need to get serious with that budgeting and the saving. And, you know, if you're under 50, then you still have time to, to make it easier. Um, but all you have to do to, to maintain a budget is to have a plan and you know how much you're going to save for retirement, and then you implement it. So you got to follow through with it. Just putting it on paper is, is half the battle. You've also got to actually do the activity. Exactly. Yeah, and if you're younger, I mean, then it's going to be a lot easier for you to grow your money over time. You have time on your side. So now's the time to jump into budgeting and getting on track with uh, a great plan for retirement and for the other goals you have in life. Um, so anyway, let's jump right into this. Um, mistake number one is not having a real budget. 
Um, you, you guessed that right, John. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> people have a list of estimated expenses sometimes, but it's not a real budget. You know, a real budget has controls and some feedback on it. Um, a real budget has a plan of what each category expense will be, and then it tells you when you're over over that budget. You know, a real budget has to be kept up with on some routine basis, like monthly. And also, a real budget has to have some consequences when you're over in the category. It has to have a kind of a feedback system, so you have a way of knowing when you need to stop spending. Like, like an electrical shock There you go. Or something, that, that would right? be really good. Kind of like a dog collar for, yeah. for budgeting. <laughs> that would be, uh, that'd be interesting, John. <laughs> Take it to John. the extreme a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right. <clears throat> Maybe not quite that. But, you know, an, an envelope system is a good way of doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, for your discretionary items, you can use the envelope system, um, put cash in there, and when the envelope runs empty during the month, you stop spending in that category. So it has some real feedback, some real controls that helps you stay on budget. You know, an estimated of, an estimate of your expenses is not a real budget. So that's problem number one is not having a real budget. Yeah, that's good. Well, number two here is not budgeting for um, non-periodic expenses. You think about vacations or or, uh, you know, Christmas, um, you know, you have to budget for those. You have to plan for them. Just a, a wild guess in your head and, and coming in twice at, you know, that doesn't get her done. That's going to blow up the budget. It's going to mess up some other categories. And you can plan for a nice beach beach trip and, and save for rent. But if you leave out the food, I mean, you've blown it. That's going to be a big portion of that, that vacation. And uh, food and other expenses associated with the vacation, you know, a lot of times can, can be the biggest part of it. I mean, rent's certainly there. Um, but controlling those is huge. Um, you got to try to keep them reasonable and make sure you plan out um, when you do these trips and, and vacations. Yeah, that's right. I feel like I'm somewhat of an expert at vacations, John. If you haven't, <clears throat> can't tell by now, I kind of like vacations. Um, I like going and doing different things. And uh, we love going cruises with some of our friends. And, and that, those are one thing that sounds very expensive, but it can be very affordable if you plan for it right and if you do it right. Um, the extras can certainly double the cost and can make it, you know, where it's not a, a affordable or a uh, good value, I guess, to use as a vacation. But it, but it can be if you plan it right, and that's the point here, you know. So you need to budget for all parts of your vacation. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. I mean, we took our entire family to Maui when our kids were a little bit smaller for a week, and we did it for less than two thousand dollars, which is hard to believe, but. You know, first of all, we had frequent flyer miles. Mm -hmm. You know, I had saved up just enough frequent flyer miles to get our entire family of five out there. Um, Had to call in like at midnight, 320 days in advance (laughs) to be able to get these really cheap frequent flyer tickets. But I planned on it, did the research, knew exactly when I needed to call, did that, got five tickets for like 25,000 points a piece, which is unheard of um, today. And, you know, I got a, a, a good rental place. It was nice on the beach. Wasn't the most desirable location, but it was only like 1300 bucks for an entire week. Um, we had a cheap rental car, maybe $125. We did groceries for most of the breakfast and lunches and only ate out at dinner. Um, you know, we, we brought groceries and snorkel gear at Walmart. Snorkel gear was like $25 a set. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we really, you know, we saved a ton of money. We drove all over Maui, did all the great sites in this cheap rental car. We did it all, and but it was pretty cheap. And, um, you know, I mean, if you want to do nice dinners and, and you can afford all that, you know, that's great. God bless you. You know, just budget for it and make sure you can afford it. 
And great vacations don't have to be, um, you know, that expensive if you plan for them properly and use all your resources. Of course, everybody doesn't have freaking flyer miles, but maybe you have an uncle that has a vacation house or you can go in the off season somewhere. Um, You just need to budget for it well and for all the non-routine stuff that's built in um, to your budget that needs to be built in your budget, like, you know, Christmas and taxes, car repairs, vacations, house mm-hmm. repairs. Yeah. You have to have all those things built into your budget. Yeah, that's a big one. That, that really does blow up a lot of people's um, financial situations. Number three here on the list is not keeping track of your miscellaneous expenses. And, you know, a lot of people pay for miscellaneous stuff with debit or credit cards, and they list them as one category. That can really be a problem. There's no controls in place. You don't break down you know, the gas, the food, the Walmart items, um, it can be 500 one month, 2000 the next month. And you really have no idea because you're categorizing that, that debit card or that credit card as one category. So got to make sure you break out that detail completely, you know, each month so you know where it's going. So if you're overspending in an area, you can break it down weekly. So you, you know, when it's over. So it's just a better way to track it. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And then if you're over in a category, I mean, it's time to stop spending in that category. And if that doesn't work, then start using envelopes, you know, in the envelope system for that category, you know, in cash. So when the cash is gone, you're done spending, as we talked about. Um, that's a surefire way really to control your spending for discretionary items, as we mentioned. Okay, well, the next one here on the list, number four, is not being willing to change the budget busters. Now, I mean, most people have one of these, John. I mean, eating out, hobbies. Could even be golf. Ouch. Could be. Yeah, it could be, you know. Um, gifts, vacations. I mean, everybody has their, their thing, you know, that they're really tempted by to spend a lot of money on it. Um, psychologically, you don't want to change those items, you know. It's painful. It's your weakness. It's the thing you really enjoy spending on. But to be successful, you have to go after it. You have to tackle it. You have to be willing to compromise um, and you can still enjoy those things. It just needs to be in moderation. It needs to be well planned out and in the budget. So you have to be willing to face your budget demons and conquer them. So that's item number four. Yeah, number five here on the list is um, not leaving enough cushion in your in your budget. And we see people doing this all the time. They may have a $5,000 budget and they don't have anything to spare. They have no miscellaneous category, no wiggle room. And the problem is unless you're super analytical or you know, you know, you, 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 you're able to track things down to the penny. You're, you're, you can't follow everything so closely and you're going to miss something. Excuse me. I mean, a lot of times your expenses will vary from month to month as well. So that means you need about a 10% cushion in any budget on top of your savings to make it work because you're going to, you need some, some, some fluctuation. There's going to be some things that show up one month that won't show up the next month. Yeah. No budget is perfect. You know, um, yeah, and hopefully, you know, if you have a really good budget, really tight budget, maybe you'll be saving an extra 5% out of that 10%, but not likely. I mean, 10% really is the right cushion that we see for most budgets that will make it work. If you don't have that, usually the budget doesn't work. You'll constantly be over budget. You won't really know why, and before you know it, you'll be you know, in credit card debt or you'll be eating into your emergency fund. So keep a healthy cushion to allow for the variation month to month and the cash expenses that you can't easily keep track of. Okay, so the takeaways here are, you know, great vacations don't have to cost a lot or bust the budget if you plan carefully for them. But planning really is the key to keeping the budget under control for most things. So keep a real budget 
um, you know, with a 10% cushion, track the budget busters, break out your miscellaneous pile in your budgets. Budgeting shouldn't be painful. It should be liberating, effective, and it really should help give you peace on your roadmap to retirement. So if you have questions about that, email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. And John, that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with RMDs and specifically do Roth IRAs have a RMD, which is a required minimum distribution um, associated with them? And the answer is no. Um, Today, under the current tax law, um, Ross, you don't ever have to pull any money out at all, which is different than an IRA. Yeah, that's right. IRAs at seven and a half, you do have to take a required minimum distribution or any any uh, qualified retirement plan, um, unless you're still working, uh, you know, in a retirement plan. Uh, but for IRAs, you have the minimum required distribution at seven and a half. Roths, that's one of the great things mm-hmm. about them. You don't have to take money out at seven and a half. One more reason why we think Roth should be your go-to retirement plan after you've funded your your 401k plan and you get your match. That's your right. 401k That's plan. Right. The next step would be a Roth IRA. Yeah. Dave's a big fan of getting the match obviously, and then going and, and funding the Roth. When you use the Roth in retirement and you do pull money out, there's no taxes. Exactly. Which is so nice. It gives you a lot of flexibility. If you have a, a nice, healthy tax free Roth to help manage your taxes in retirement against your IRA and your 401k plan. Yep. So, Great uh, question of the week. All right, and that leads up to our next topic Topic here, talking to kids about your wealth. Yeah, that's right. So this is, um, you know, we had a segment a couple of weeks ago on this, Steve, but I thought it was important. To, and I like the kind of the, the angle of this a little bit, you know, talking about, you know, you're a business owner. Um, you know, we have, you know, doctors out there. We have folks that are uh, teachers and so forth. And you don't necessarily need to be a, a highly paid executive to have these conversations. If you have children, at some point, um, you know, having that discussion with them about your your finances um, and, um, you know, talking about your money is important. And, um, you know, how, do, how are you going to handle that moment and how will they handle that moment as well as some, some questions that you need to ask as you go into it? Because sometimes, you know, money and, and family can be uh, sticky. Absolutely. You know, and kids are really important in this discussion because kids – they tend to be inquisitive. They're curious. They're going to form opinions about, you know, wealth and about how much you have as a parent, how much their family has and what that means to them, regardless of whether you tell them about it or not. So you need to talk to them. You need to help form that opinion, form their ideas and their values centered around wealth. Um, you know, some kids end up fam- valuing family wealth more than others. You know, we all know about, you know, children from wealthy families or have heard about them who grew up to become kind of materialistic and unmotivated, you know, because they're living off their parents' their parents' wealth uh, in one way or the other. Um, or you have other children who learn to treat family money with respect and admiration, and they recognize the role that it plays in the family and the future that it cr- helps create for them. Um, while, you know, glimpsing the potential that it can help charities and other things in the community. So you kind of have two different ways that kids can look at wealth, and you need to help form the opinions so mm-hmm. they look at it correctly. Yeah, so what accounts for the difference of, of kids viewing, you know, things differently? It may boil down to, to values. When the right values are handed down, you know, a young adult is poised to, to hold on to that, that wealth in high regard and receive it with maturity. And I like... Um, you know, I like some of the things that Dave Ramsey teaches that it's, um, 
it's really not our wealth, it's God's wealth, right? Exactly. And we're managers of that. And if you can take that viewpoint, um, it makes it a little bit easier to manage it better um, than what you would do for yourself in some cases. So some parents never tell their, their children how wealthy they really are. And um, it's not really that uncommon. In a recent survey um, by U.S. Trust, um, they, they talked to households with investable assets greater than $3 million, and 64% of those polled indicated they had said nothing or nearly nothing about their net worth to their kids. So interesting, two-thirds um, wow. had never really had that conversation. Now, it doesn't say how old the kids were, but my guess is if you have $3 million, you're probably on the older side of the equation versus right. younger, and you would have older kids. So um, interesting. That's right. I mean, this is also a risk. when If you hide details and avoid talking um, about your finances, parents may see a child grow into a young adult who is ill-prepared to understand and manage well. So I, I agree with that. I think it is a risk. I think um, I don't think you have to get into the numbers per se, but I think um, your, your values and, and um, how you how you look at money and how it can be used to help other people and things like that is very, very important to have those conversations. Yeah, that's right. And I think you have to get on the same page with your spouse um, in this regard because everybody has some pretty strong opinions about, you know, their wealth and their privacy and who they tell and who they don't tell and who they trust with information. Um, but one good step for your kids is to set some expectations. You know, after your kids learn how wealthy you are or get an idea how wealthy you are, um, they might expect your money to play a financial role in their personal lives, um, you know, especially in adolescence, you know. So tell them, frankly, what you're willing and not willing to do and why. And where the family wealth comes um, into their lives, you know, and, and you know, how it's going to affect them. Um, will you want to fund their college education or, or help them with car payments? Um, you have to answer that question for yourself and kind of set some expectations with them. Um, you may or may not want to do those things, but you'll certainly want to let them know, you know, you aren't going to bail them out, you know, if they're irresponsible, um, you know, reaping the consequences of your irresponsibility is usually the best way to learn. So you want to leave some room for that in the equation. But I think setting the expectation with your kids is really, really, really important. Yeah, and I agree with you. And you can also help them see that that wealth does have meaning. I mean, some financial professionals um, like to ask their clients the question, what does um, having money mean to you? And in other words, what should that money accomplish? What dreams um, should it help you pursue or what fears or worries could it be used to address and and how does money fit into that vision of success is it integral or or is it just not uh, related to it at all so just understanding you know how people value money is is important and it's been said that money never transforms character it just reveals it and the responsibility of handling wealth amounts to a test of character so you know we would encourage you to have thoughtful conversations with your children about the meaning of wealth and, and um, help them pass that important test when the time comes, because in most cases they're going to inherit your, your, your assets. Um, it depends on what your will is, but uh, for most people it would go to their children. Yeah. And I would say it's not one conversation, you know, this is an ongoing conversation you have with your kids as they're growing up. And I think you reveal certain things to them, the older they get and the more responsible they are to be able to handle that information um, so it's, it's not a one-time deal. I mean, I think you continue to have these conversations. I don't think you want to hide everything from them. I think you want to share some information with them and set expectations. So as they mature, you know, they get to see the proper, 
uh, picture of what wealth can do and the reason for it and the fact that it is all God's wealth and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you know, pass your values onto your kids through your wealth and give them the right expectations of, of what it's going to mean to them in the future and how they should treat wealth themselves when they do ultimately, you know, inherit your wealth or, or grow their own. Mm-hmm. So great conversation. Yeah, we've, we put a, um, a tool out on our website, again, moneymd.net, and it's called an, a financial account inventory sheet. And it's basically a way that you can document your accounts, um, whether it be IRAs or 401ks or you know bank accounts, life insurance, things like that, that you can document and you can put. And it's a way that you could discuss it with your kids or your spouse or whoever you want to inform. But it's a way to keep track of your financial assets. You can put it um, with your will. Um, so when, when you do pass away, people have a roadmap. So we're going to put this on our website, go check it out, moneymd.net. Yep. That sounds great. All right. And that leads up here to our final thing. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah. So before investing in, you know, expensive repairs or, um, some other, you know, items, um, check out YouTube. I mean, there's an amazing amount of information out there. You'd be amazed at what you can do yourself with a little bit of research, I'll tell you, I followed this prescription this last week. Okay. Um, you'll be happy to know, um, Steve and I have played a couple of rounds of golf together. Um, Steve is a, is a very good golfer. I'm on the other end of the spectrum, and, and I figured out that um, driving is for show, but putting is for dough. So I went out go. to YouTube, there and I figured out how to putt better. Did you? So I've been practicing in my house. So I look forward to uh, showing you those skills that I've learned on YouTube. I love it, John. And, uh, I love I'm teaching it. myself. So we'll there see. There you go. Yeah, I'm an avid user of YouTube. I use it for all kind of things. I love videos, instructional videos. And on YouTube, you can fix almost anything on a car. You can, I mean, you can at least see how to do it. You may not have all the tools and maybe you don't have the skill, but you can see how it's done. And, you know, a picture paints a thousand words. So a video paints, you know, Hundreds of thousands of words. I don't know. <laughs> right. It uh, really does show you how to do it. So I, I, I'll go on there and watch a YouTube video before I'll read some service manual. There you go. So uh, I like it. Great prescription of the week. All right. And that leads up to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Smart Mr. Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 